um, anyway, I'm so happy to have you, Chris, because like we just chatted, I heard about what you're doing with uh, with Coffee Hip Hop and Mental Health, the organization you created. And being honest, it's very close to my heart because I share with you um, this idea that mental health and anything related to mental health, especially getting help, is still very stigmatized in many communities, yes. right? So I just love your idea, but it's not about me. So, um, Chris, I am an introvert and small chats are like the, the worst thing in the world for me. <laughs> so I always like to start this from, you know, like a solid question. So my first question to you will be, if you can tell me about like a formative experience in your life, like something that happened in your life that really affected you Either way, positive, negative, and really, you know, kind of spilled later into your life to whatever you're doing now or, or just overall, just like a forma formative experience. <laughs> sure. Um, so from the age of, I'll say from 3 to 15, uh, I was abused by family. Um, it was weird because every time I say that, I think about, my family, they don't think it was abuse. Yeah. But you know, locking me in a basement uh, for as a form of a punishment from 3.30 in the afternoon to 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning is it's not a good thing for a child. Yeah. Uh, or, you know, or isolated me uh, always in an enclosed back porch, whether it be the basement or behind the china cabinet. Uh, that did something to oh my me. God. Um, that made me a recluse, uh, struggle with social anxiety, PTSD, and other forms of depression and, and uh, stress throughout uh, my life. Uh, so the physical, the mental, and emotional abuse, it just bled into my adulthood. And so, yeah. you know, I still feel some of that stuff today, uh, 41 years old, and I'm still dealing with the effects of the things that happened to me from 3 to age 15. Um, and then, and, and then, you know, of course, everything spills over, right? So from 15 to 18, right. I'm shuffled through group homes. And then the experience from 18 to 21, living on my own and not knowing really how to live. <coughs> Excuse yeah. me. So. Oh, my God, this is like, <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. I'm, first of all, I'm sorry to hear it. Um, but that's definitely something that can be very formative or disformative, really, right? For for a young kid and then young adult, and so now yeah. it makes total sense what you are doing now, right? With the with what the, with what you created with coffee, um, hip hop, and mental health, right? So that's where it's all coming from. Yeah, it definitely makes sense, but uh, but Anna. Uh, like, to be honest, it wasn't planned. Uh-huh. So how everything started? So I was in a relationship and 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 uh things wasn't working out. So I was really uncomfortable and and I was depressed about yeah. it. It just just wasn't working out and I was trying my hardest, but I didn't feel as if I was measuring up in this relationship. And mind you, I have never dealt with the unresolved traumatic experiences in my childhood. So having to deal with rejection and the spirit of abandonment, um, 
Yeah, so all these things are just complicated, all these layers of pain and frustration and the grief and the shame that comes with trauma. And like not knowing my mom or my dad and just all of this. And I'm sitting inside of a coffee shop on October uh, 2018. I'm sitting inside of a coffee shop, Starbucks, right in the heart of downtown Chicago. It's crazy day, traffic. Now, I spent years uh, as a performing artist here in Chicago, as a hip-hop artist. And so I mastered the art of performance. Yeah. So I know how to perform. I know how to look like I'm okay. I know how to present my best self. But in this moment, having this occasional cup of coffee, I started to cry uncontrollably. I just couldn't stop. And in that moment, I was having that breakdown. And I couldn't hide. And I spent a long time hiding, sheltering my feelings, being that uh, social recluse, right? Um, only coming out to perform a task, like go to work or go to rehearsal or perform. Other than that, you wouldn't see me. Um, and so, but in this coffee shop, I couldn't hide anymore. And I just just couldn't stop crying. And that pushed me to go to therapy. So this breakdown became my breakthrough, which was the catalyst to push me to this next step in my life to get some help. And so I'm in this uh, therapeutic relationship all of a sudden, and I'm bearing my soul. <laughs> and, excuse me, and uh, it is overwhelming uh, to, yeah. to have... Yeah, like to have these conversations. And one day my therapist said to me, you know, it's not your fault that you were abused as a child. And when my therapist said that, that lifted like this weight of guilt and shame and somewhat of this burden off my shoulders. And 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 it was after that uh, I started to have these transformative experiences in therapy. And uh, I went home one day and I wrote down coffee hip-hop and uh, mental health. I mean, at first it was coffee, mental health, and hip-hop. It didn't really flow right, and, and I finally landed on coffee, hip-hop, and mental health. And I didn't know what it was. And I said it was cool, but, but I didn't know what it was. And so I started, you know, working on the logo and, and, and building out the plan and designing the website, you know. And I'm very resourceful and talented. My background is marketing and sales outside of, you know, uh, been in the music industry. So I know sort of what to do, how to start something from the ground up. You know, I'm a very creative person. Right. And so the idea was to travel with therapists. And we go into whatever venue and we try to normalize this conversation through a unique interactive panel discussion. Mm -hmm. And so on July 7th, 2019, I did the first event. That was the official launch. And we had like 20 people in the audience. I had left uh, my job on July 1st, started Coffee Hip Hop or Mental Health on July 7th. And it was like 20 people in the audience. I'm like, uh, don't know what this is. Yeah. And, you know, I started a new job, the new marketing director job on July 8th, working 12, 13 hours a day from the 8th to the 14th, uh, only to be fired that weekend via text. I'm like... I just left a whole job for this job. Yeah. And and the lady texted me at 10.59 p.m. on a Sunday, on a Sunday, and uh, said, after soliciting feedback, I am no longer fit for this company. And I was just like, whoa. Right? Yeah. So, I, so I was depressed for like two weeks, you know, embarrassed, right? Because here I'm thinking that 
I'm leaving the job to go get another job, and this job has status. You know, I have a name, you know, and, and then maybe this young woman who I'm with, you know, like this woman who I'm with, maybe she's going to like me more now because I have this status, right? Yeah. And then to lose this job in a week, <laughs> it's like, it's though, and, and, I, and I was doing everything right. Yeah. I was doing everything right. You know, I lived at that job because I wanted to make a good impression because I negotiated more than what they offered. And so I'm like, okay, you know, so go on there and get the job done. And so, so, you know, after two weeks of stressed out and depressed, I got up and I said, you know what, I'm going to push this company. You know, I'm, I'm not going to go back, you know, because I could have went back to the job I left on July 1st, but I said, nah, I hate that job. I don't want to go back to that job. That's why I left. I hate that job. <laughs> so, yeah. so I want to do something, you know, that, that will make me happy. And um, I started pushing this company forward and, and the, like less than uh, less later, we did it again. The second event had, had over a hundred people that paid 25 to $35 to talk about trauma in Chicago. Yeah. And, and it just grew from there. Yeah. And that's amazing. Sorry. Yeah. Thank you. And I cannot think about that, you know, maybe losing the second job was kind of like a push from the universe saying, hey, Chris, you should actually be doing this, not that, you know? Yes. I mean, because it was sudden. Yeah. I mean, it was sudden. It was like, yeah. this is this is what you should be doing. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, people were asking, are, are you going to go back to your other job? You know, you left on good terms. And I was like, nah, I don't think that's for me. And I would say that reluctantly because, you know, I wasn't sure, <laughs> right? Yeah. What is, right? This isn't a concert, uh, like production, something I'm used to. This is a mental health, a space I never thought I would ever be in. Yeah. And something that doesn't really exist, right? The company who is who's besides, you know, some level of entertainment, the more, the, the purpose is to help others, right? With, with talking about yeah. mental health, getting help, or just opening the door for them, right? In that area. Yeah, 100%, because it wasn't about uh, numbers, you know, as it relates to the music business, it's about how many seats can yeah. you fill? How many albums can you sell? No, it was about, if it's three people that showed up, that's really a win. Yeah. And and uh, that's the power of coffee, hip-hop, and mental health. It's not a showmanship thing. It's not a popularity contest. It's about whoever shows up, have the conversation, that is successful. Yeah. And uh, so I had my mindset very quickly because I come from a sales background, a marketing background. I come from the music business where every venue you work for, they want you to pack out the venue. And this wasn't that. But we started to pack out venues with a mental health conversation. Yeah. And, uh, well, we did. We all yeah. Like three hour sessions. Uh, you come yeah. in as a DJ yeah. playing music, there are games, there are coloring stations, there are donut and coffee stations. and. And uh, and then we have a hip hop performance with me and a collection of artists, and then we go into a ninety minute conversation, and we give away resources and we educate people, and it's it's an amazing thing. 
Yeah, that that sounds really really amazing because, you know, taking this first step to. Um, you know, go to the therapist to ask for help. That's the the biggest step, right, to take. Um, so tell me, Chris, what do you think? Uh, because like we started our conversation, I think definitely there is this stigma around mental health and not only in this country, not only in, you know, in our community here, but everywhere around. Why do you think is that? You know, why... You know, I always think about it. I go to the dentist to check my teeth, right? I go to my general doctor to check my body. They take full blood, make sure everything works. And I was always thinking about that fact that I'm going to therapy because I'm going, I currently have a break, but I used to go to therapy too because I want to check my emotions. I want to check my brain. I want to make sure that everything that is going on there that I'm carrying, because we all carrying we are all carrying some kind of shit, right? From the childhood. My therapist used to say that you grow up to heal your child. And I think there's a lot of truth in that. Uh, But so why do you think there's so much stigma? Is it that because it's like, oh, you are weak, you are not normal since you are going to therapy? What do you think it is? I think it's various things, right? Depending on what community uh, you're in. So for instance, this company is not a black company. but I do focus very firmly on the black and brown community. And I open with that because I want to make sure the listeners understand that, yeah, I'm a black man who had my own stigma with mental health, something I wouldn't even think about. It's just, and and then the idea of talking to a shrink, right? Or bearing my soul with somebody was unheard of because we don't have that opportunity in our own community. Yeah. To be emotional is a sign of weakness. Yeah. You know, when you even when you look at the word vulnerability, it has a definition of being weak. Yeah. And uh that's the thing, you know, so there's a stigma because of the languages, uh of the language and the messages that we share within our communities. Hey, you're soft. Hey, look, you don't got time to cry. You know, like when you grow up in a black community and you're just trying to survive because you live under the poverty line or you just in the black community and you're sort of just getting by, every day is about survival. Every single day. Survive, survive, survive. I have no time to go to the doctor. I have no time to 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 complain. I have no time to be emotional. I got to get out the way, make my money, and try to live. And that's every day. So you live day to day trying to find a space to survive. And so there is no uh, strategic thinking when you're in survival mode because everything is emotional and how you feel and you fly off the seat of your pants. Everything is, you know, I got to get, 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 right? And so when you are in the Black community or any poor community or any community that is underserved or so many social disparities, you don't think from a strategic mindset. Everything you do is poor. The language is poor. The messages is poor. The schools are poor. Your friends are poor. I mean, even the neighborhood advice is poor <laughs> to a certain extent. And so when you think about going to therapy, nah, because your society, your neighborhood, your community has taught you to hold it in. Nah, yeah. you, you, need to, you don't have time like to talk about that. And so there's no space. And then there's no place in Black America 
there's no pace, there's no place in America for black people, men, women, or children to thrive. So we're just a black star, a black leading musician, a black actor, right? Everything is put in black in front of it. So when you think about that, think about um think about how it is when you want to rage and scream and tell your truth and say you're angry. Well, you looked at as an angry black man or an angry black woman, mm-hmm. right? But 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 everybody else can do that. Every other, like a Jewish person can like choose to use their heritage or not and still thrive. Even Latinos can do that. But black men and women and children cannot do that without being held accountable, whether it be a consequence, a form of judgment, or some form of bias. And so we know that. And so we're holding all of this pain. And even the family dynamic is, shh, don't tell nobody. Secrets, all these secrets, you know, don't tell nobody what happened, right? And so I'm talking from a black community standpoint. Mental health is raging in every community. But I'm sharing that truth so when people understand that black people are not angry, uh, not angry black people. I mean, we're not angry by nature. We're frustrated, we're gaslit, uh, we're horrified, we're scared, but we're not angry by nature. You know, we have been triggered for so long, but not having the space to actually vent our truth like without being placed in jail or or given some form of punishment, right? And so I don't know if that makes sense to you, but I'm saying that when you are in a community and you're and you're basically taught to shut up your whole life and you just shut up. I, there's no room for you to be vulnerable because no one gave you the freedom to be vulnerable. So the stigma was created because there was a stigma attached to our race and our culture first. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, you know, I 100% understand. And, you know, I was thinking even in the perspective of the everything that is going now, you know, I don't condone any um, violence or anything, but I don't blame people going out and being mad. I would be mad, you know, I in my life end up in therapy because I was told for many years that I'm not enough, that I am this bad, that bad, that bad. And then you start believing in it. And this is something that I actually want to talk to you about because when everything spilled out now, right, when it comes to the social, uh, racial injustice and, and we are really on the streets and, and everybody is, um, uh, are you there, Chris? Um, and everybody, you know, is really mad. I'm just thinking constantly about this idea um, that I actually found in this amazing book. I don't know if you are familiar. Body Keeps a Score. Yes. It's about yeah. how, how trauma... And I was just yep. thinking yep. about, you know, black community holding this trauma for years and years and years and years. And on top of your story that you told me, I'm pretty sure that you are carrying some generational trauma from your grandma, from your fa- grandfather, you know, whatever they have to do. So I think what you are doing and, you know, whole mental health issue is just more than crucial in this whole situation because there's so much trauma that black community is carrying, you know, and, um, and that's how I kind of want to talk to you about it. But what do you think about that subject? Kind of like a generation, you're familiar with that book? I'm very familiar with that. And, uh, that's something that we, we touched on that a little bit this weekend at the AT&T event. Um, and, uh, a viewer asked the question, is it genetic? Can it be passed down? Absolutely. 
Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's uh, really fun. Yeah. yeah. I'll just tell you one story. I started thinking about it after reading this book, but also, you know, when there's a air water show in Chicago, mm-hmm. I, my anxiety level is like skyrocketing i hate that day i'm nervous all day i'm just like aggravated and i was always thinking like what the heck is this about you know and then one day um right after one water show whatever i came across picture of my grandma and i started thinking oh my god is it something this like stress in my body that is carried because she was a part of uh, world war ii you know and (laughs) and bombardings or whatever, and this is something coded in my genes, and I'm just, like, getting aggravated because that went through my genes. Like, I don't know, but what, what are your thoughts about it? You're- yeah. Look, uh, there's a thing called uh, post-traumatic slavery syndrome. Yeah. Oh, I didn't even and, know. Yeah, so so you're talking about something very real. Like, the thing, like, the people who had to endure the woes of the all the wars and life after the war. You know, that's that's a you know that's PTSD, right? Mm-hmm. But think about post-traumatic slavery syndrome. So our ancestors were taken from a land and brought to a strange land and for hundreds of years we were held captive. We would, uh, they stole our, our, our identity and we were beat and we were killed, raped. And, and our uncles and grandmothers and brothers and sisters, they saw that. Yeah. Constantly. So think about the present trauma that they had to see every day, every day, every day. And so when they died, that fear, you know, is passed down because it was never resolved. Right? Because it just happened again. It was a new set of slaves and a new set of slaves. And then think about this. Even when they said that we were free, uh, that was this system that was created called the police during the time that harassed us and took our freedom and forced us into uh, like to work and still work, but they put us in jail. Like, so they created these systems to police us only to put us back <laughs> Uh, into captivity, and then the Jim Crow law, right? And uh, then the redlining, and then the, you know, after the Great Migration, and and so it's like all this this pain that would just pass down. Pain, more pain. Then the Civil Rights Movement, and the pain that came from that. And then the Black Power Movement, the Vietnam thing, the pain that came from that. And then you get to the 80s, and then you get the drug situation. You know, like like the war on drugs, right? Like like when they poured the drugs into our community, it's been genocide since we known. And 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 so when we see the killing of George Floyd, people are not just looting; they're being triggered because of the already the unresolved tension and the trauma that happened back hundreds of years ago that was never resolved who was never healed. Those scars are still there. And so if you are 50 years old, 60 year old, you're still carrying the stuff that your grandmother, your great grandmother went through. And I'm carrying whatever. And, 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 then, and then it's even worse when you don't even know who your family 
Like, we don't have a relationship with your family and you were awarded a state, you shuffle through the system, you don't know what the health history is, you don't know what your father and your mama dealt with, right? And so you're carrying all of this pain. So, yes, I absolutely believe in intergenerational trauma, post-traumatic slavery syndrome. That's an actual book called Post-Traumatic Slavery Syndrome. Like, you got to read it. Um, yeah. Because it talks about the stuff that was just passed down. And it's actually a lot more horrific than that. Black people, you know, I hate to make it about just our race and our culture, but I just want to make a point to the listener. The, the right. thing that hurt me most here in Chicago was when the pandemic was at its highest. They would put these images of Black people on TV who were still living and having parties and, and, and doing all these different things. I'm sure, by the way, we wasn't the only race or culture of people doing that. But, 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 but my thing is this. When you already got people who are poor, you be, like COVID became number 11 on the list. I got 10 other things that yeah. is waiting, you know, is a weight on me. Kobe got Kobe had to take the back seat. Unfortunately, it had to because it was easy to do that because it was invisible. Yeah, yeah, right? it's not like thread that you you can see, right? <clears throat> that yeah. is in front of you. Yeah, Kobe was invisible. It's systematic. It's programming. That's what COVID is. COVID is invisible. It's systematic and it's programming, right? And and if you don't really know what to do with that, that's like the that's like the worst type of enemy, right? Yeah. Because you can be passive with it. You can be very passive with it if you already don't think from a strategic mindset. You're just living. You're living your best life. When I see these images of kids having parties, yes, it's irresponsible. Yes, it's not the best thing. But you understand that you're showing a population of people who dealing with all this trauma, this trauma, they live below the poverty line. And so you know they're not making the best decisions. So why put them on TV and say, look at them? That's triggering too, because that affected me heavy. It's like, why are you putting out yeah. ugly parts on TV? Yeah, they're looting, but can you explain why they're really looting? I'm not saying that they're right. I'm not looting anything, but I understand that poverty is violent. See, I understand that poverty is more violent than somebody tearing down a store that can rebuild next week because they have the finances to do it. See, there are several types of looters. There's the looter that wants racial, uh, uh, that wants to fight racial injustice and is yeah. angry and angry and don't and don't know what to do with these displaced emotions. And then you have a person who broke and they hungry and they're looting so they want to capitalize on the fact that they can loot. And then like you, you have the opportunists who just don't care about anything. It's just an opportunity like to get something. So in the black community, we know that. We know that. But it all but if you lock somebody in a the house, they already live in a food desert. They already live in uh, with a high level of food and medical insecurity. And you lock them in a the house and they don't get stimulus checks and they can't go to work. What do you expect for them to do? <laughs> Poverty is violent. Yeah. 
Yeah, and you know, I'm 150% with you. I, again, I don't condone it, but I understand it on some level. You know, I understand that there is such a desperation and such a lack of help and such a frustration and anger that that's what happened. And, you know, we all have to look at it from that perspective. Again, nobody's saying that it's right. But when we understand people, then we can fix situation and, and make it better, you know, versus just judging them. Because simple judgment will bring, will bring no solution. It will bring no solution. None, I mean, none whatsoever. And uh, for the listener, if this conversation is all over the place, well, that's the tough thing about mental health and trauma and healing. It's messy because mm-hmm. it's low loads of conversation that is uncomfortable the healing process is is beautiful but before you get to that place it's it's uncomfortable and messy i mean it is this process of getting to a place of emotional and mental freedom is painful is lonely and well it can be very lonely and it's just messy yeah um and uh, so, you know, but but it's worth going through the fight of it. It is so worth it. Yeah, yeah, I hundred, yeah, I totally, totally get what you're saying. And thanks for sharing all of that. I think, you know, look at me. I come from privilege, right? My skin gave me a privilege, and um, I just, you know, I I try to do what I can. But um, I feel personally, I feel guilt. Like I feel a lot of guilt. Um, as a person, as a white person, and um, and I'm just looking for ways to help. So, um, tell me how we can how we can help um, coffee, um, hip hop, mental health. Like how how we can help that area, which we just talked. It's so crucial and so important. Sure. Uh, so look, as of June, we um, we started feeding uh, families, and as of right now, we are up I to- I saw that. You kind of pivoted, right? Yeah, like so we had to pivot because uh, at the base of it, you know, food insecurity and living in food deserts and not having the resources is poor mental health. And so we knew that we had to step in and uh, offer some form of relief. And so we pivoted right after the shelter in order, like the looting, like the death of- uh, uh, George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and and and, and uh, all the frustration within our community, they start closing stores and not reopening and and uh, the elderly and 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 uh, like the hardworking fathers and mothers have to go all the way across town just to get groceries. And in some cases, they had put restraints on where you can and cannot go. And so we say, you know what? We have resources, and so we start raising money. So. As of June 13, we fed 2,600 families. Uh, starting this uh, Saturday to the end of the month, we would meet at least 2,500 more families. And so we just ask the people to go to the website, chhamh.org, and donate. Yeah. Uh, if you text her, you can text donate.feedshy to 77948. That's Text donate dot feed shy to seven seven nine four eight. We are a five zero one c three, so you can write this off. Uh, yeah, we are. At- all this link below this episode for everybody to kind of access it, for sure. Yeah. Thank you. I mean, I tell people if you're in Chicago, 
come volunteer with us. It's not just about money. Maybe you don't have that. Maybe you have resources. Maybe you have wisdom because we don't know everything, right? Uh, I'm just doing the job that's best fitting for our community. So serve with us. Volunteer. Uh, send us some advice. Uh, send some resources our way. Heck, buy some fruit. <laughs> buy some vegetables. Or yeah. you don't have to do anything extravagant. You can just go and take care of your neighbor. Go check on your neighbor. Go across town. Leave the north side. Come to the south side and say, hey, how can I help? Um, that's the, that's what it's about because we don't know when this COVID situation is going to end. Um, yeah. So so we need all hands on deck. And so uh, that's how you can help. But I want to say something about white guilt. Um, we talk about this in our community a lot. And just to be clear, Chris, I didn't say it for any other reason that I genuinely I'm feeling it and I'm struggling with it, you know? No. And I know that your struggle or whatever it's not a comparing struggle but it's it's just like how i feel you know like and i feel like i can openly tell you that you know like i feel guilty and it's not to you know again bring attention to me because it's not about that that's the feeling and it's probably stopping me from doing more than i could if even if i'm doing something because i'm like where should i go how should i address it i feel awful about it it's my fault it's my fault i'm it, i'm a part of it i'm a part of the system that's how i feel you know what I mean? I didn't even know. Well, well that's why I wanted to, like, explain. Um, look, it's layers to that conversation. I get it. Your ancestors, uh, you, you know, you feeling privileged. I just tell people to find a way to remove the guilt as much as you can and just do it from a place of this is inhumane for people to live like this. There are dogs. There are dogs treated better than black people. I mean, just think about that. There are dogs living beautiful lives far better than black people. There are people that get sentenced to jail for doing horrific crimes to dogs more so than someone going to jail for killing one of us. Mm -hmm. Right? And so, so I'm saying as much as you can to anyone listening, if you are dealing with white guilt of any form of guilt because you feel like you are a part of the system or your ancestors or your family, your father, your mom, I would say try to look at it a little different so you can remove the guilt because guilt has a time stamp on it. You're only going to feel guilty for so long. But if yeah. you just look at it, right, you know, guilt, guilt, guilt has, a, uh, has an expiration date on it. Yeah. Right? And, and so I would tell people to just, just do what you do because you love people. Because you want to see... I mean, think about, your, think about your child. Would you want your child gunned down in the street? Nah, just look at it from that. This is inhumane. That's it. Like, we're... I believe the same thing you believe. Right? So it's just humane. So... I feel, and uh, then guilt does stop you from doing because you got to figure out, am I doing it right? Right? Am I serving right? And if you just look at it as they hungry and they need some food, you just go feed them. And then yeah. don't even make it black and white. It's just inhumane for somebody not to have. Right? And uh, I just want to encourage you because I get it. Like, like I get the guilt. You know, I get holding it and, like, not knowing what to do and want to do a lot. 
But don't be controlled or led by that the same way I can't be led by my emotions because I'm going to make a mistake. I want to do something bad if I'm just led by my emotions. And, and, and so I know you have a good heart. I can feel your good energy, even though we are on Skype. I can see you and tell that you mean well, right? And so I would just say, yeah. leave love. This is a human. Yeah. You know, and, um, that, and that's for any viewer. Uh, anyone listening to this, uh, do it because you just know it's the human thing to help. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is definitely inhumane. It's embarrassing on so many levels and just, just like I can't even believe. But I trust, Chris, what do you think? I trust we are going to rumble with it. and There will be changes. There will be, be it will get better. What is your, yeah. what is your outtake? I believe, I believe that men will heal, children will heal, women will heal. I believe that even if the federal government, uh, the uh, the state and local uh, level officials, even if the even even if they stay the same, the powers and the people, the people will change. Yeah, and and uh, that's most important because when the people stand up. That changes things across the board, right? Mm. We have to all come together. So, yeah, I definitely believe some big things will change. I believe that this whole season of COVID was necessary, even though we lost we lost people. But before we can ever get collateral beauty, we must have collateral damage. And that's unfortunate, but, but that is the cycle of life. Yep, 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 yep. Yep. And so, yes, preach, I preach there. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, this is awesome. I am going to definitely link everything, all the links to you, to your website, to the next event, where to donate, where to text, the simplest things uh, we can do. Because, you know, you said kind of, and I believe that we have to come as a collective, as a collective thought, but there's just so much power, I believe, in every single person that we can do as this single person. You know, it doesn't have to be big. It doesn't have to be, you know, gigantic donation or gigantic bag of food. It's like, look, right. your, look what you have extra. Look what you have extra in your account. And maybe just, you know, send this five bucks or, or bag of food somewhere to somebody who needs. So it doesn't have to be big. And, and exactly. yeah, we can all participate. Um, I don't even, I usually end this uh, with a question about, uh, you know, maybe book you like or podcast. You don't have to answer it, <laughs> but I always like to share the knowledge, you know, like we're like, oh, I've seen lately this, or I read this, or I have this app and I like it. If you have something like that, that you really, um, you mentioned this book. What is it called? The um, post-slavery traumatic yeah. syndrome. Yeah, post-traumatic post-traumatic okay. slavery syndrome. Okay, I'll link that. Okay. Yep. Just so you can look that up. Um, yeah, that's a good book. But there's a there's a few books like I'm reading because I have to just stay in tune. But it's a lot of information. You know what? Um, I would say that I really want people to look at hip hop different. That's what I would share closing. And uh closing, I would share that I want people to to look at hip hop different. Yeah. Because for years, uh hip hop was 
our first form of therapy uh, because yeah. it is where we can invent our pain. You yeah. know, you think about Tupac, right? Tupac talked about death very often. Uh, so much fear. Why did he think about death so much? Why was he afraid? Uh, you know, trauma. Hip-hop has, has evolved, right? And it's talking about so many other things. But if you look at the origin of hip-hop, you, you, you told your horror story. You, you, you told your neighborhood story, your family story. But it was also your first form of free, free expression. And uh, so, so I would like to think that hip hop taught us all about trauma, and we didn't know it. Yeah. Oh my God. I actually, I never look at it that way, but that's so true. Yeah. And uh, so, I just want us to to yeah. get back. You know, I want us to look at hip hop different. Uh, now, when you when you look at self medication, people are drinking and smoking and popping pills, doing everything to numb themselves. I don't like the fact that they rap about it in their music, but I also believe there's an agenda there as well, but that's another conversation. So I'll end with uh, telling people to just love each other harder, um, love some, do something special, unusual, bless somebody. Uh, man, you know, just... Be a human. Harder. Yeah, just, yeah, just be human. You know, if you don't like black people, then just focus on human. If you don't like Latino people, just focus on human. If you don't like white people, just focus on being human, <laughs> right? Um, that is the best thing we can do. But I like all these people, okay? <laughs> I'm just saying, we can all do a little bit more, you know, and 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 loving ourselves yeah. and each other. So thank you so much, Anna. Thank for having you. Me. I yeah. really have this conversation. I will stop recording now. I don't think so. I have nothing to add after this conversation, um, except please go to the details of this episode and notes and uh, click and donate to support Chris's organization, Coffee, um, Hip Hop and Mental Health. Um, I'm so grateful for Chris to um, agreeing to chat with me and um, I think it's one of the most imp uh, important episodes I have recorded yet. Thanks Chris and thanks everyone for listening. Oh my god, so much fun fun this episode is it was just such a joy uh, everyone is but this was especially um i hope you enjoy it as much as i did uh, my conversation with rachel and i hope you will check out um feel real on um, this amazing platform they are creating um talk to you soon